I want to deal with the topic today, which has two dimensions, earthly and heavenly. And inevitably, when I approach it, I wind up majoring on the heavenly one because I realize that it's the basis of the earthly one. I'm talking about reconciliation and unity. We'll focus on reconciliation and unity today, not primarily because in so many places right now, we're currently seeing heart-rending outbursts of human evil and tragedy, violence, the hatred, the death-dealing alienation. Now that's almost a double word there because alienation is death-dealing. When we are not right with each other, especially with those who we are committed to, we're not dealing life. And we need him in all of it. Now this hatred and violence and alienation have always been a part of human history because we have so often scorned and rejected God's kingdom and his ways. And the Bible reminds us continually that his ways are as high above ours as the heavens are above the earth. That's frankly pretty insulting, but it's painfully honest. It's just a fact. But we're focusing, or I'm focusing on reconciliation today because God focuses on it. And he calls his people to focus on it, not just in tragic times, but all the time, ever since the Garden of Eden. Our Father gave us a paradise and freedom of choice. And it seems that our first choice was to turn to our own ways above his ways. And that's where we find ourselves today. Isaiah addressed it in in, uh, chapter 53. He said, we have turned everyone to his own ways. And God has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. So, we're seeking long-lasting, permanent reconciliation and unity, and that always demands a change of heart. Now, I'm older than a few of you, which means I begin to speak more slowly And even more softly, hope I don't get to yelling during this one. But I I just want us to try to hear God's heart about reconciliation and unity in his terms, not just our own. And in the scope that he has in mind, not just the scope with me and my backyard neighbor who I may not be able to get along with. Being typically human... We tend to look for instant, inexpensive, simple cures for alienation. But it never lasts because it doesn't go deep enough. If we can be okay with each other as long as we don't see each other too much, that's not lasting reconciliation. The truth is, in Scripture, Jesus, the Son, is God's reconciliation. He doesn't just teach it. He doesn't just uh, train us in it. He is 
the reconciliation between us and the Father. And if we are reconciled with God, there is every possibility that we can be reconciled with each other. He knows where to start. In fact, Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, peace, I leave with you. And, and as, as a lot of you know, we're not talking just about a ceasefire here. Peace in the Hebrew thought means that we and the culture that we live in, whatever that culture be, are operating according to his interpretation. No sand in the gears. No errors in the compass. He says, peace I'll leave you. And it's my peace that I'm leaving you. Not the kind that the world gives. You can see the difference, can't you? Not just the kind the world gives. This has always been God's plan A. Uh, that plan, which is Jesus, was prepared from the foundation of the world. He knew what we had become, and he knew what it would take to make a way to him in spite of all that. That plan, namely Jesus, came to earth in the fullness of time. And we're well aware that our idea of that and God's idea of that can be way apart. But he said it's always been that way and it's in the fullness of time. That plan, Jesus conquered all the powers of alienation and death by his resurrection. And that plan, Jesus, will return to finish the process of God's peace which is not just the absence of conflict, but the presence, the reign of his righteousness, his peace, and his joy. Now, we're going to have a little Bible study, as we usually do here. I appreciate Brother Chris's basis in the scripture. Never departs. First of all, I want to call your attention to 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 14 through chapter 6, verse 1. Always gives me a secret delight to lop these over into different chapters. But, uh, verse 18 is the central of this passage. It says, If anyone is in Christ, he is in, he is in what God wants him to be. Verse 18 is a central passage. Keep, keep the verse on the board, but verse 18 is a central point of this passage. He says, through Christ, and notice this, it's always through Christ. God reconciled us to himself. Now that's a great revelation to some people that we weren't together in the first place. But he reconciled us to himself this is the beginning of God's purpose and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the business of reconciling others to God and this is the result of God's purpose. In verse 14, he says, 
The love of Christ constrains, compels us to be his uh, missionaries and proclaimers. Now, the love of Christ to me means his love for us and our love for him. He loved us long before we loved him. And he loves us long after we fall in the pits we've dug to ourselves and need to be dug out again and again and again. The love of Christ covers both ends of any spectrum you want to look at. And his love for us and our love for him compel us to extend Jesus and his gift of reconciliation to whoever we meet, whoever it is. A man questioned Jesus about the meaning of neighbor one time when he was saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus gave a very expansive answer. To summarize, your neighbor is anybody who needs your help or needs Jesus' help, may or may not be worthy, may or may not be deserving, may or may not be even intellectually open to the idea. But you're not imparting understanding. You're imparting the Jesus who deals with the heart. So don't ever settle just for facts and information. Always be able to give the one who gave himself to you. That's a part of the reconciliation. Verse 15 continues, Jesus died for all. I am not proclaiming universal salvation, but he gave himself as the atonement of God for everybody who will come to him. Everybody who will come to him. Jesus died for all, and that's not just us. It's for those who don't yet know him. So that those who live, meaning that they have been reconciled to the Father himself, that's where our eternal life is. It's not just in us, it's in him. It was rooted in him. It has to come from him. It has to be sustained by him. And that's why he prayed some of the way he prayed over in chapter, chapter uh, 17 of John, which we'll get to later. For their sake, he died and was raised. What earthly motive would suggest to us that we should keep this for ourselves? We are no more worthy than anybody else in this world. Now, if you press me, I could probably think of a few that I would name as suspects. But the truth is, in God's eyes, nobody is worthy. The scripture clearly says, all have come short. Fallen short of the glory of God. And yet he's redeemed us. What makes you think that there's anybody who lives near you or works with you or goes to ball games with you, or anything else, is somehow not worthy. 
of the sacrifice and the grace and the glory and the mercy and the redemption and the renewal that are in Jesus. They're worthy. That's it. Verse 16 is a big shift in perspective. It says, we no longer regard or perceive anybody according to the flesh. That means according to how they look or sound or act or walk or whatever. <clears throat> we no longer perceive them and evaluate them or, or judge them in human perception. Because it's human perception that makes us angry and hating and discouraged and condemned and feeling unworthy. It's all these things. He says, we don't see them the way we would see them if God weren't living in us and changing the way we evaluate everybody around us. We're together today as a congregation of believers in Jesus. We've met him. He has made himself known to us. And he has made us into a new creation. Now that process is at various stages and various ones of us, you understand. Appreciate you bringing that out, Patrick. But he has made us and he has made us able to see other people differently. How many times have you given up on somebody? How many times have you felt that other people have given up on you? How many times have you felt prejudged simply because of politics or appearance or wealth or braininess or any other measure in the world? Paul says, when we're a new creation, we perceive other people a little closer to the way God perceives them. And God perceives them as his creation one of his children, potentially or presently. And he calls us to see them the same way. Sometimes I realize that if I could erase a bunch of history, I probably would feel differently about somebody I know, and I don't have any names in mind, don't worry. But when God starts showing me how he sees them, it moves my heart. I identify with them. I can say, thank you, Lord, for all your grace and goodness to me. And I'm aware now that they receive and deserve all the goodness and grace and mercy that you've given me. That puts you and me and everybody we know and don't yet know on the same plane, loved by God, potentially made into a new creation and living in peace in our own hearts and with our brothers and sisters and with our neighbors and with our enemies. He specifically said, love your enemies. Pray for those who wrongly use you. 
That's radical. And it's not humanly possible. We can try, and then something will happen that flushes us out and realize that we don't really achieve that level yet. And he says a strange thing here. He says, we don't even perceive Christ the way we used to. Has that ever happened to any of you? A lot of people have seen him as a good person, as a teacher, as a figment in history, <laughs> or as just another one of us who tried a little harder, did a little better, and look what it cost him. We perceive Jesus now with waves of glory all around it. We can't see him without thinking redemption, grace, patience, mercy, forgiveness, tolerance, care, love. So God has a lot to do in making us into a new creation. So he goes ahead to say in verse 17, Therefore, anyone in Christ, you know what that means? Reconciled to God. That's you and me. If I claim to be in Christ, it means that I have been brought into compatibility with him. And if you rate miracles, that's probably right up at the top. Making us compatible with him. So it can be joy instead of dread. So it can be care instead of doubt and blame. So it can be security instead of this aching incompleteness in all of us without him. Because, he says, when we are reconciled in Christ, the old has passed away and the all, the, uh, how did I say? And the new has come. Okay. The old has passed. The new has come. Thanks again, Patrick, so much for bringing it up. That we're in the process and not there yet. But it lets us know that things are not hopeless. As one old guy said, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. But I'm not what I used to be. And I think of what I'm going to be. I told you, I'm old, so be patient, okay? So in verse 19, it's laid out clearly. In Christ, God reconciled the world to himself. He miraculously decided that we were worthy. And he made provision for us to be worthy. And then he says, he did not count their trespasses. That remind you of 1 Corinthians 13? Keeping no account of wrongdoings is godly love. And believe me, it takes God to do it. God in us or God in himself. 
but he wants to use us in the process. Keeping no account of their trespasses, which is grace. And then the crowning blow, right when he has us take our eyes off the road, he says, he entrusts us with a message of reconciliation. Now that's one of the main things God's coming to. He's talking to his people right now. And he says, I am entrusting to you the message of, this, of the possibility of this reconciliation in their inner heart with themselves, in their families, in their culture, in the world, with strangers, with enemies. The message is the same. Not counting their trespasses, but being reconciled. So he makes it clear in verse 20. We are commissioned as ambassadors for Christ. The gospel was never intended to end when I or you or anybody else received it for their own redemption. It was never intended. We become like a spiritual dead sea if we receive the grace of Jesus and it never goes further than us in our lives. He says, I've commissioned you as ambassadors for Christ. And here's the unbelievable part stated explicitly. God is making his appeal through us. Now you know us and you know God and you know that there are a lot of gaps between us and God. We again, we're on the way. But he says that God is going to make his appeal to the world through us. You and I are here today because some ambassador at some point back in history, maybe a thousand times through the realm of history, some ambassador passed on what he had received. And we are the fruit of that. Never forget that somebody introduced us to Jesus. I think sometimes we've not done as well as we wanted to in this category because God has been in the business uh, for some time now and many times throughout history, but in the 21st century of appearing to people in distant parts of the world, in cultures totally alien to us, in dreams and visions and prophecies and saying, I am the Lord. Thank God he doesn't leave it all up to us. He appears himself and he says, I am the one who can change your life. And you will discover that you can't really live as you want to live without me. And that's what chapter 6 verse 1 is talking about. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. What in the world does that mean? One thing it means is, don't receive the grace of God for no purpose beyond your own help or redemption or bailout or salvation. 
that would be receiving it in vain because it's not just a blessing, it's a divine seed. Uh, Jim Newsom preached to us one, one time years ago when he said, everything God does is a, what do you call it, somebody, the legal term, precedent, okay. Meaning that if he has demonstrated something once, he can do it again. If he's done it once, he can do it millions of times. If we receive the grace of God and it stops in us, thank God for his grace, but we have failed as an ambassador. We have not passed it on. That's in vain. Another description of being in vain is bearing no fruit. Now here comes the condemnation. Certain ones of you have been active all your lives in sharing the goodness and the mercy and the kindness and the love and the grace of God. Others of us have not always been diligent and we immediately start thinking, I am so bad. I am so fruitless. I am so useless. I am so in trouble with God because I've, I've never had gotten the concept of just sharing my grace and my mercy with other people around me. So he says, don't receive the grace of God in vain. But he also says many times, don't walk in condemnation. Because if you're not where you want to be in this part of the process, that's not the issue. He can make you part of that process. He can use you. He can overcome any lack that you feel in yourself. And some people will. Which one was it? Uh, Francis of Assisi, I believe. He said, share the gospel at all times with words if necessary. And if I've got the wrong saint, I think they'll forgive me. Okay. <laughs> now, the second passage I want to point you to is John 17. Phyllis loves this chapter because it's God's uh, example of Jesus' prayer for us. And it is. It really is. The main part of this passage is in verse 21, the theme of what is, in effect, a heartfelt private prayer of Jesus, a sort of a wrap-up of his mission on the earth. And he's praying that all of them, all of my people, shall be one, just as you and I are one. And that means totally reconciled. And the purpose is that they all the people, shall be one in us. It's, it's a moving thing when God's Spirit comes on a group or a church or whatever and draws them together in Him in a deeper and stronger recognition that He is our only source. He is our redemption. He is our guide. He is our life. It, it changes things in us. But he's praying that they all, all those who believe in me, 
shall be one. And in my imagination, he's praying for all the people because his heart wants to redeem everybody. Again, I don't believe in universal salvation. It is only through Jesus, only through him. When we're in him and we bring the presence of Jesus to them, then they're in him. That's what I mean by all. But he wants us to be one. Anybody ever heard of church fights, church arguments, and denominational problems and world clashes and culture classes based on religion? Paul Petrie worked for many years to build up a uh, network of national prayer breakfasts in the governmental centers in Europe. The last time I talked with him, that number was between either 28 or 29 nations that had annual and sometimes monthly prayer breakfasts in their governmental capitals. They never used the term Christian because the word Christian in so much of Europe is a political term with a mixed history. So they always talked about their encounter with Jesus. And that was the basis of the unity. He told me once of a time when several people, this was a decade or more ago, several people from the Russian parliament were planning to come to the uh, big national prayer breakfast in uh, Belgium where he lived at the time and where the European parliament is. And uh, at the last minute, uh, Putin's government pulled their passports and they weren't able to come. So they wrote him back and he said, this is what has happened. Is there any way that something could be done here? So Paul and a group of uh, parliament members from various other parliaments in Europe made a trip to Russia. And they met with a group of five who had written the original letter and was now expanded to about a group of 30 to hear about other people's encounter with Christ. And uh, the result was a somewhat hidden, subtle prayer breakfast among Russian parliament members ever since then. So he says, I'm praying that they all may be one. Now listen to this. In the same way that you and I, Father, are one. That's radical too. I don't know how to explain it, so we'll just keep going, okay? That they may be one just as you and I are one. I do know that that means they're totally reconciled with each other. There were no gaps between the Father and the Son. No disagreements. Not even any little scriptural picky points. They were totally reconciled. And, they, and, and Jesus is praying that we can be in that same unity with him as they have with each other. I know this sounds ethereal and unearthly, and it, so far it is. 
But it's God's will. It is God's intention that we be that close to him that we can be that close to one another. I'd call it total reconciliation. He says, I want them all to be one, just as you and I are one, and that they may be one in us. You get the condition? I would love to deal with reconciliation as a neighborhood thing, one-to-one -one between human beings. But I've noticed that that never lasts. The only kind that lasts is that when that neighbor and I are one in him. That's eternal. And it's life-changing. It makes new creations of us. He goes on to say in verse 20, I ask not only for these, that means the people who were with Jesus then and there, but ask for those who will believe in me through their word. So when we believe in Jesus today, how are we believing? We are believing through the word that they got from him and passed on to us. This is the chain of reconciliation. Now, I don't have any trumpets coming in the door. I realize this is very pedantic, but it is, it is reality, and it's a glorious reality to me. He says in verse 21, that they all may be one so that, do you hear the purpose now of unity and reconciliation? so that the world may believe that you really did send me for this purpose. Uh, a poll hasn't been conducted on this question in, uh, in my knowledge. And I know that God's the only one who could know. But he says, if we are so one with each other, the world will come nearer being convinced that you are the one who has sent me, which means you can trust in what I'm saying because it father, the Father gave it to me himself. And sometimes that's all you can say to somebody else. I urge you to trust what I'm sharing about Jesus because it's what I got from him. It's not just a current fed or opinion or popularity uh, thing. It's real from him. Verse 22 says, I've given them your glory. Now, once again, I plead ignorance here. I do not know how to describe God's glory as Jesus is talking about it. He has seen more of it than I have. But I do know that his glory includes his initiative toward people in need, his grace toward those who don't deserve it, his power to change them when they can't change themselves. All of this, that they may be one in him. We talk about a powerful God, and he is in every sense of the word, but he's also powerful in opening people's hearts 
Jesus even said, nobody comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We are dependent on his power and his grace and his love and his mercy. He goes on in verse 23. It will be I in them as you are in me so that they may be perfectly one. Again, so that the world may be convinced that you are the one who sent me and why you sent me. And notice this at the end of verse 23, that you have loved all of the scattered, lost, unloved, unknown people in the same way that you have loved me, your son. Do you hear that? What do we feel toward those people we don't yet know? Well, that's how God feels. He loves them the way he loved his only begotten son. We need to see that and realize it and imagine what his power can do in their lives if that's the way he feels about them. Let me add in verse 26. I have made known and will continue making known your name and all that's contained in that name so that the love which, with which you have loved me may be in them. Now, I can't imagine my feeble carcass containing the kind of love that God has for the Father and for the world. But it's what he wants. It's what he's given us. I said a long time ago, you can't come back from where you haven't been. In the same way, you cannot give what you haven't received. But think of what we have received. And give that to the next person on the basis of their need and not on your appraisal of their worthiness or receptivity. Never assume. So we can see from all this that God's emphasis on reconciliation and God's emphasis on unity in Him are the same prayer, same command. Let me add, too, that the definition of reconciliation is not just a compromise or a peace treaty. Uh, this one and that one can get along with each other if each gives up enough of what's in himself to make it work. But it's not ceasefires or treaties or temporary arrangements. It's not just peace between person A and person B. Peace is person A and B having peace with God, being reconciled to Him. And it is not natural, it's not humanly possible to be reconciled to God or with others in our own strength. It is a miracle. A miracle of God's grace and power one person reconciled with another person 
is a good first step. But the lasting foundation and God's ultimate plan is that this one and that one be reconciled to him. This is what I call the long view of reconciliation. You have to look into eternity to see it. And then you have to practice it two feet at a time with those around you. Just because it's eternal does not mean that it is presently real. And just because it is eternal does not mean that it's practical in the short run. It's the only thing that works, even in the short run. So, we come then to the method of reconciliation. If this is such a great plan, how do we implement it? And the answer, of course, is very simple. We do what Jesus did. Jesus said, follow me. And that really covers everything else. Because if we just see him and follow him and do like him, it'll work. You don't get a hernia doing Jesus' will. It's heavy, but comparatively speaking, it's light because he said, my yoke is workable. My burden is bearable. So let's do what he did. To begin with, Jesus was fully reconciled, perfectly reconciled to God. He himself said in John chapter 10, I and the Father are one. That's what enables, uh, that's what enabled him to obey, to care, to forgive, to tolerate, to initiate, to humble himself, to take risks, to suffer unfairly, and to die to self. Now we see his literal death so vividly that we forget that what preceded it was, he died to himself. That's his way. And this was all possible because he had absolute, utter confidence in his father. So he was able to give whatever it took to reconcile. Our own ministry of reconciliation, and remember, we all have it. He says, you are reconciled to God and you are given the ministry of reconciliation. That's just Paul's opinion, of course. Probably has no great import for us. But our own ministry of reconciliation depends also on our total confidence in God, in the wisdom of His will, in His promise to care for us, in His promise to anoint us and make us usable, and also to obey, to care, to forgive, to tolerate, to initiate, to humble ourselves, to take risks, to suffer unfairly, and to die for ourselves, die to our own way.
In other words, whatever it takes to reconcile our fellow human beings to the Father himself. When we reach out to others in godly grace, that's his mercy, his care, his patience, and in his love. Remember, God said he loved the whole world the same way he loved the Son. That staggers my mind, which is, of course, more easily staggered these days. <laughs> but he says, if we reach out in godly grace and godly love, that's the kind that's unearned, undeserved, uh, unconditional, this opens hearts and lives. And I've seen it. I've lived long enough to see a lot, but I've seen it. Where the verse that says, it is the goodness and kindness of God that leads us to repentance or turning. I've seen it happen. I was vice president at Bible college years ago and at the registration one fall, we had a lot of new believers coming in. They were part of the Jesus generation, baptized in the ocean, not fully washed up yet. <laughs> but uh, this young man was in the registration process and we across the room heard a big noise and disturbance over there. And he was just shouting and yelling at some of the registration people about questions unanswered or problems unresolved. So I walked over to him, sort of cautiously put my arm around his shoulder, and he said, I'll be glad to help if I can. So he turned to me in tears. He was so miserable in his heart, with so many unresolved issues in there, that he was more angry at himself than he was at anybody else. So we sat and talked a while and prayed together, and I asked him to, if he would, fast the next day. And then the day after that, come visit me in my office and we'd pray again together. He agreed. And so the, that morning in my office, he came in and we sat facing each other and he was weeping again. I felt like God was working. So I started it saying, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Jesus be Lord. Break this spirit. He sprang out of his chair about five feet, bumped into the wall. Uh, my fellow administrator from next door came around and we kept praying for him. And he was, he was gloriously delivered healed in his heart, all in one place. He was a new human being. And uh, he had a wonderful career there in, in, in the Bible college. So I have seen how it works. So our reaching out to others in godly grace and godly love opens their hearts and lives not just to other human beings, whether they be disagreeers or betrayers or straight out enemies, 
but to the Father himself. They were reconciled with him. And in fact, it's our own experience of reconciliation with God and in our own hearts that qualifies us to be his ambassadors. That's what we have to tell about. We don't have to explain the Trinity, which I have never heard successfully done. We just need to share what we have. You are an ambassador. You have credentials in your spirit because God put them there. And you have content in your own encounter with him because God put that there. And when you're thinking of them or they're on your prayer list or they work where you work or they live where you live or whatever, it begins with reconciliation with God, the Father. Ephesians, that's the book. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10 reminds us, we are redeemed, reconciled by grace, which is God reaching out to us. And it is through faith, which is our trusting and surrender to Him. It's not our own doing. It's not our works. So nobody can boast or feel self-sufficient. For we are the result not of our own endeavor and determination and prayer. We are the result of His workmanship. Let God work in you. That's the thing that'll make the difference. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, His good works. Some years ago, I was invited to uh, lead a weekend of services and teaching in another church. So I prayed and worked hard to prepare three messages that would please God and bless them. Friday and Saturday went well, and they were blessed. But Sunday morning, as I approached the pulpit, I opened my mouth to announce the scripture and begin. And something inside me somewhere, the voice of God said, stop. Well, that's a perilous priest place for a preacher to stop. <laughs> but I stopped, thank God. And I prayed. Prayed for a couple of minutes silently. And then I said to them, I sense that God has a word for us other than the word that I had. So let's all bow and listen to God for His Word for us. And I stood there like an embarrassed idiot, but praying in silence. And after a few minutes of this silence, one and two and three, and then many, many others got up from where they were and scattered to others around the other parts of the building, the auditorium. And they all did basically the same. They knelt before the other person. They confessed their faults to them, sometimes against them, 
They asked for forgiveness. They wept together and they embraced. And it didn't have one thing to do with anything I had planned to say. I don't even remember what my topic was for the day. But I remember what God did. This went on for more than an hour. And as the movement around the building died down, we all wept and praised God together and realized that we had witnessed the power of reconciliation. In later weeks, that pastor called me several times and he said, that move of God has transformed our congregation. That's just one tiny drop of what reconciliation can do because it brings the power and the grace and the love of God into the process of reconciling and uniting. Now, I don't expect any trumpets and I didn't plan for any, but I want you to know that God's word is true. His promises are sure. His way is the only way. And his mission and purpose are important. They are the only salvation for our generation, all the generations represented right here, and our world. So let's bow together and open our hearts to him. Father, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you that your word is absolutely trustworthy. We thank you that there are reasons for every command or prayer that you gave to us. We thank you that you have mission and purpose and aim and destination in mind for us. We pray that your grace to us may not be in vain. And we pray that eternal reconciliation and redemption may be the measure that brings us together. It may seem slower and more distant than any other kind, but it's the only kind that works. So we thank you in Jesus' name for helping us. Help us. Help us. In his name we ask it. Amen. Our desire is to know the Father better. And so as we go today, let's just stay in touch with him. Let's stay reconciled to him. Let's progress in our reconciliation with him. Let's narrow the distance between our way and his way. And let's believe that he is able to keep every promise he's made. May you go in God's favor and blessing. May you go with your ear attuned to him. And may you go with hopeful expectation that he can do far above all that we ask or think. God bless you. Let the musicians sing. There will be people here at the altar to stand with you are people seated in a chair near you 
who will pray with you, who will join with you in your prayer, who will ask God to work the miracles in us that need to be worked to make us representatives, true representatives of the one who loved us. God bless you.